0: Again, thank you for listening, and we're excited to see what is next in your life. We are an ever-evolving community of visionaries, dreamers, and doers who have been called by God to live the lives we were created to live, commanded by God to love beyond the limits of our prejudices, and commissioned by God to serve. Called to live, commanded to love, and commissioned to serve— and beloved, you know how we say it here at FCBC. We live, we love, we serve. Amen. Listen, I won't hold you long this morning, but I want to lift some verses, a passage of Scripture from the Old Testament book of Numbers. And so if you would turn with me this morning to the 13th chapter of the book of Numbers, I want to read from verses 25 through 33. That is Numbers 13, verses 25 through 33. I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Version of Scripture. Again, Numbers 13, 25 through 33. And it reads like this. At the end of 40 days... They returned from spying out the land and they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the Israelites in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey and this is its fruit. Yet the people who live in the land are strong and the towns are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of the Anak there. The Amalekites live in the land of the Negeb. the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live by the sea and along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against this people, for they are stronger than we. So they brought to the Israelites an unfavorable report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land that we have gone through as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great size. There we saw the Nephilim, the Anakites, come from the Nephilim. And to ourselves, we seemed like grasshoppers. And so we seemed to them. Amen, beloved. Let us pray. God, we thank you on this day and we honor you for this time. The time you have appointed, O oh God, for us to come together as a family, as a community, and not only celebrate, worship, and praise, even if virtually, O oh God, but a time, O oh God, in which we are expressing the depth of gratitude we have for who you are and how you've been in our lives. God, we thank you today. Now, God, in this time, Let your work or your word do its own work. Let your word, oh God, hit the intended targets today. For there are those who are watching, those who are viewing, some, oh God, who are in need, desperate need of a word from you. So God, help me to decrease so that you might increase. Help me to get out of the way so that you can be God all by yourself. We love you, Lord. We honor you, God. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen, beloved. Let me read that entire passage again. At the end of the 40 days, they returned from spying out the land, and they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the Israelites in the wilderness, Paran, at Kadesh, They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. Yet the people who live in the land are strong and the towns are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live by the sea and along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against this people, for they are stronger than we. So they brought to the Israelites an unfavorable report of the land, and they, and they had spied out, saying, The land that we have gone through as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great size. They're, they're giants. There we saw the Nephilim, the Anakites come from the Nephilim, and to ourselves we seemed like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. Amen. Amen, beloved. I want to preach from this thought today. We have a giant problem. We have a giant problem. Shemua. Shaphat. Egal. Palti. Gadiel, Gaddai, Amiel, Sithon, Nebai, Gayuel, Shamua, Shafat, Egal, Palti, Gadiel, Gaddai. Amiel, Sethur, Nebai, and Genuel. Ten names that probably do not ring a bell. Ten names that for most of us who read scripture may have never read, and if we've read these names, never paid attention to them. oftentimes there are numerous names and persons in the scripture we read and don't remember. We have a tendency to be drawn to those names, those persons who are often at the foreground of scenes, of narratives, of stories. But these 10 names are interesting. Because when you read the book of Numbers, especially this 13th chapter, these names arise. And again, these are names that we are not often familiar with, names we do not quickly recognize, and for the most part, probably names we do not know. And it is not surprising because history is filled with forgotten people who live their lives in fear. These 10 names that I've recited today are 10 of the 12 spies whom Moses sent out to see if the land of Canaan was truly what God said it would be. Israel was on the doorstep of their promise, on the outskirts of the land of promise, on the outskirts of Canaan. And there, as they prepared to possibly inhabit the promise, Moses got the directive to send one man, one spy from each tribe, a chief of the tribe, to go and spy out for 40 days the land to see what the land was like, but more than to see what the land was like, to see if this land was the land that God. had promised? Was it truly a land flowing with milk and honey? Was it truly a land filled with fruit, a land filled with produce? Was it everything that God said it would be? Moses chose those 12 men to go spy out the land, And, and most of us are not familiar with the 10 of them because those 10, according to the story, allowed their fear to grab hold of their perspective. And we often remember two, one from the tribe of Ephraim by the name of Joshua and the other from the tribe of Judah by the name of Caleb. And in this whole scene, 12 men went out, but two are only remembered. Why are Joshua and Caleb the ones who are remembered? Primarily because Joshua and Caleb had the audacity to trust God, to believe what God had said. The scene was set. They were sent out to spy out the land. And for 40 days, they went through all the low country and the high country, through the mountains and along the rivers, along the Jordan. They spied it out and they came back knowing that it was everything that God said. It was a land bearing much fruit, a land flowing with milk and honey. It was everything that God said it would be. And maybe they went into the land with the assumption that it would be easy for the taking. And somehow, just because God promised it, there would not be a struggle to inhabit it. So they go into Canaan, the promised land, what God had ordained. But here's what I know. You can put some people in the right place. But if they got the wrong perspective, they will undermine what God may want to do. I mean, if you're honest today watching, maybe, maybe you can be honest about those moments where you knew that you were right where you needed to be. But the only thing that was out of place was your perception. Your perspective, maybe even how you saw the situation or even saw yourself. And then all of a sudden it changed the environment, the place you were in. It was right where you needed to be. But somehow I've learned this in my life. You can be in the right place with the wrong attitude and turn upside down what even seems right about the space. This is what happens. And this is what happened to those spies who went into Canaan. For 40 days, Moses and the people waited. For 40 days, they pondered all that God had said. I can imagine Moses must have been anxious to hear the report. It wasn't that Moses did not trust what God said about Canaan, but Moses wanted that firsthand experience coming from those spies who would come out and verify what God had said before they went forward to occupy the land. For 40 days, they were in anticipation, standing on tiptoe almost, waiting for the report. And at the end of the 40 days, The report came back, and it, in some ways, must have stunned Moses. It clearly aroused the fears of the people. Ten men said, it is everything that God said it would be, but there is a problem. The people in the land are strong. We saw some of the people, the descendants of Anak, the giants. We saw in the land the Amalekites, the Jebusites, the Hittites. They were all there along the plains and along the valleys and along the river. They were all inhabiting the land. And here's the thing. They are stronger than us. And yes, it is what God said. But we are not able to possess the land. Caleb, when they give this report to Moses and the people, Moses rather, a report steeped in fear. Caleb stands forth singularly and says, no, no. Yes, it is a land flowing with milk and honey. And yes, the land has been inhabited. And yes, there are people who occupy the promise. And yes, it is, from perspective, a large gathering of people who are in the place that God promised. But here's the line Caleb said, but we are well able." To occupy the land. Oh my God. Look at Caleb's audacity. Look at Caleb's belief. He saw the evidence that other 10 saw, but his perspective was steep in trust and belief in what God had said. But the 10, the majority was steep in fear. And not just fear, but something that when it becomes a companion of fear can undermine the greatest aspirations of all of us. Fear plus insecurity leads to emotional dysfunction that causes us to miss opportunities fortified by God and shaped by God's promise. Fear and insecurity, when they inhabit the same space, whether that space is in your spirit, in your mind, in your psyche, in your soul, when those two things inhabit your mind, You will turn upside down everything that God has designed and destined for you in your life. Oh, how many of you today can be honest enough to say there have been those moments I'd rather not confess about where I let my fear coupled with my insecurity run wild in my spirit undermined my movement, short-changed my progress, deterred my desire. We all are guilty of it. We all know about it. We don't always like to admit it. I know there are those moments where we want to wear the face that says we are fully confident, courageous, that we are filled with bravery and courage, But if we're honest, there are also those moments in our secret and sometimes even sacred silence and loneliness. And we are face to face with the things we fear the most or face to face with the things that damage us the deepest, that gave birth to our insecurities. Oh, yes. All of us have an origin story connected to our insecurities. Our insecurities do not arrive, as the philosophers would say, ex nihilo, out of nothing. They all come from a place. And and, and, I, and I wonder, I wonder, have you ever tracked down the origin of your insecurity? Have you ever paused and and done a deep dive to find out where was it, what, was the place where the bleeding began and the bruising started that allowed you to not see yourself in the fullness of who you are and caused you to always see yourself with one eye closed and one eye half closed afraid to see who you fully are because you don't always believe the narrative that speaks to your strength. Hold on, isn't it amazing how quick we are able to affirm the narratives that speak to our weakness and do not affirm the narratives that speak to our strength and our possibility? How often do we find ourselves gravitating towards the negative narratives that speak to who we really are not and move away from the narratives that speak to power and courage and audacity and tenacity? And we don't do that because sometimes, we don't believe in who we are and even when people see the fullness of who we are see our gifts see our talents see our abilities when they see all of that we don't always believe them because we think somehow we create a narrative in our minds that they're only saying this to make us feel better but don't want to tell us the truth about ourselves and we don't hear what they're saying oh gosh you got to be honest today there have been those moments where you could not even hear the good said about you because you could not affirm the good about yourself and you refused to embrace what people saw. They saw a gift. You saw grief. Yeah. They saw power. You saw pain. They saw a giant. You saw a grasshopper. Oh, that's the scene here. When Caleb stood forth and said, we are well able, those 10 spies doubled down on their insecurity and fear. They said, no, no we saw what we saw, the inhabitants are stronger. And that's what they said. Look at this. Look how sometimes your fear coupled with your insecurity not only changes your perspective, but your fear coupled with your insecurity causes you to create narratives that are steeped in illusions. Watch this. They said, the land devours its inhabitants. Well, wait a minute. Hold on. This is inconsistent with the report. You said that in the land there were the people of Anak, the Jebusites, the Hittites, the Amalekites, the Anakites. So clearly the land didn't devour the inhabitants. But hold on. You then must create a false narrative about the possibilities of inhabiting your promise because of your fear and insecurity. And you then create a story that's not true. It's an illusion based on your fear and your insecurity. Now, you said the land devours the inhabitants and yet the inhabitants have not been devoured. So maybe you think that when you occupy the promise, the land will do to you what it didn't do to the people already there hold on we do that all the time we create illusions to justify our stagnation that's connected to our fear and our insecurity and we'd rather create a story where we can stay still than a story where we're compelled to move forward They said, the land devours the inhabitants. And then look what they went on to say. And this is the part, beloved, I want to leave you with today. They said, there are giants in the land. And, and you got to catch this. I want to make sure I read it properly. Watch. There are giants in the land. And here's the part. Here it is. In that 33rd verse. And to ourselves, we seemed like grasshoppers. And so we seem to them, wait a minute, hold on. That's the crux of it today. Because in their minds, they had a giant problem, but didn't realize they had a giant problem. Oh, you missed that. They had a giant problem because the giants were there, but they had a giant problem in terms of the enormity of what afflicted them. They had a real giant problem they said we are grasshoppers. They are giants. I already alluded to the fact that sometimes how we see ourselves is skewed by our fears, our insecurities. And so we have a tendency to shortchange ourselves, limit ourselves and how we see ourselves, and then we'll create illusions to justify our inability to move forward. We create illusions that speak positively about our fear. Can you imagine that? Creating an illusion that speaks in the affirmative of your fear and insecurity because you somehow try to not only spiritualize your fear and insecurity, but then justify it, and you say that, hold on, that my fear and insecurity plays a powerful role to keep me in the place where I am so I don't go into another space that might consume me. Oh, yeah. Why, why would, hold on, let me touch somebody today. Why would I try to do better than I am? Because at least where I am, there's a modicum of success. Why would I leap into a place that's too big for me? Let's use this language. Why would I move into a space that's giant when I see myself as insignificant? Oh, we do that all the time. Instead of believing that we can measure up to the space, We try to make the space not conducive for our inhabiting with a narrative steeped in illusion. And I always say Sigmund Freud made it clear that illusions have no future. So in that very moment, we are stuck in a time that never speaks to what we can be because we only are consumed with what we are. And that's not always a bad thing. Only becomes bad when you think that what you are ain't much. We are grasshoppers. They are giants. But look at the language. They didn't actually say we are grasshoppers. We seem like grasshoppers. And here's the key. And so it seems to them wait a minute. Now you not only have allowed fear and insecurity to rupture your future, you then projected your fear and insecurity on those around you. They said that those in the land see them as grasshoppers. How do they know? They said we see ourselves as grasshoppers and so we seem to them. Oh yeah, I get it. So you think that the way you see you is the way everybody else sees you. There it is. So that's why you then even shrink back in the presence of people who may not even be connected or close to the nature of the gifts and abilities you have. Because you actually think because you are small in your own eyes, everyone else sees you small. And so you start acting small, thinking small, being small, not realizing that some people around you don't see your smallness. They see your greatness, your, your, your tremendous possibility to maneuver in spaces that that the gifted can inhabit. And you don't see that. Oh, my God. Pause again, beloved. How many of us are guilty of dangerous projectionism? When we actually heap our thoughts and our feelings upon other people instead of facing ourselves for who we are. I'm not much to look at. And so you think everybody sees you the same way. You think you're a small fish and so you believe everybody sees you that way. That explains why there's some decisions you don't make and there's some places you don't go because you think that's the only way you can, well, you begin to live your life through this inferiority complex. And you think that that inferiority complex is justified because of the way you see yourself and other people see you. And the deep thing is you've never actually had a conversation with some people who you think see you a certain way. Okay, okay. Maybe that's because you actually listened to some people who saw you the way you see yourself and you actually took their words seriously. OK, you took the people who saw you the same way you saw this yourself. and You never thought about how those people who see you the way you see yourself actually see themselves. Yeah. And you thought that their perspective of you seeing you the way you see that yourself was somehow steeped in truth, because after all, they said it. Yeah. And you never paused to think that maybe the way they saw you was their own projection of themselves because they were operating in the same fear and insecurity you were. And you can imagine when your fear and insecurity causes you to listen to the opinions and thoughts of other people who are living in their fear and insecurity and you actually take their words more seriously than you take your words and you give their words more preeminence and you don't realize that their words come from a place of insecurity and fear as well. And so here you are now being burdened by the opinion of fearful, insecure people and you allow the opinion of fearful and insecure people to now To now cohabitate with your own fear and insecurity, and now you simply compound your pain by listening and internalizing the thought of people who are trying to figure themselves out. And then we say, well, well, everybody sees me this way. No, everybody don't see you that way. Maybe you gave your ears to the people you had no business listening to because they hear the newsflash. Some people never see you the way God sees you because they only see you through the lens of how they see themselves. We are like grasshoppers. And guess what? They see us the same way. Now, I might want to drop this in your spirit. I've shared this many, many years ago, but this is an interesting theme because if you ever get a chance to go study these words in Hebrew, you may do it. You will see that the word in Hebrew for giant is the same word as shadow. Whoa! You mean to tell me that there's a possibility that while they were spying, they never saw the people; they saw their shadows. Whoa. And I get it because it's a whole lot of people who run from shadows, not the thing, but what they think the thing is or what it seems like or looks like. Oh, man, let me go home a little bit closer. It's not that we're afraid of the shadows because we are afraid of the shadows. And you all of us know that shadows are always bigger than the thing that's being cast. But maybe the reason why we're afraid of shadows is because shadows then may compel us to have to fight the shadows within ourselves. Okay, you didn't get that. Okay. I, I, when I was younger, I was fascinated by boxing. Still am to a degree. And some of the best fighters, if you watch them train, they do something called shadow boxing. They're not boxing no one. They're not looking at no one. They're simply boxing because it's not about an opponent. It's about their own skill set. They're sharpening who they are by fighting an opponent that does not exist. So even in fighting the opponent that is invisible, that does not exist, they're simply trying to make themselves stronger. But that's not only what I'm talking about. There's some of us in here today who are afraid to fight in the shadows because we're afraid that the shadow we fight is ourselves. What does it say when we're afraid of our own? shadow. Okay. Afraid of the shadowy parts of ourselves that we deem as unpleasant. But here's what I learned a long time ago, that when you embrace the things about you that you don't always deem as pleasant, your shadowy side, you never know who actually can be transformed by your shadow who can be healed by your own willingness to wrestle with you. Beloved, here's the truth. Most of the things we're afraid of are smaller than we think they are. Most of the things that hold us captive is not as big as we make them out to be. Our fear and our insecurity have a way of magnifying and intensifying the things we're afraid of. They could not move into what God had for them because they could not get past how they saw themselves. For some of us here today who are listening, we don't know how to get past that. How do I get to a place where I begin? To see myself in a way that is not utterly disempowering. How do I see myself in a way that can actually be liberating and set me free to be who God wants me to be? Well, let me first say it's not easy. Because it calls for kind of, kind of a, 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 a spiritual cataract removal. I had a cataract removed from my eye some years ago. And before it was removed, out that left eye, everything I saw looked like it had a smudge on it. Blurred out. The doctors performed the surgery. They removed the cataract. And all of a sudden, after a period of healing, I could see clearly. Maybe the cataract removal surgery is not that we can see ourselves clearly. Maybe when God begins to move in our lives, maybe when when we experience that spiritual cataract removal, I know it may not always hit you the way right now, but I want you to think about this. What happens when we don't necessarily see ourselves and we don't even see ourselves the way God sees us? but we then see the things that God has done for us. And my God, if God has done these great things in your life for you, don't you know that the rationale of divine acceptance is steeped in the amazing and beautiful reflection you are of the divine? That God does it because God sees God's self. God makes ways because God sees God's reflection in you. Oh, my God, you may not be able to gravitate towards thinking that you are better than you are. But my God, when you think about that, you have been fearfully and wonderfully made as a divine reflection of God. Then you understand that the reason why God inhabits my life and God takes up space in my spirit. And the reason why God keeps on opening doors and God keeps on making ways is because God Sees God when God sees you. And when God sees God, when God sees you, that means God sees the reflection of God's self. And can I tell you this? No matter how you feel about you, you'll never change your reflection to God. And so here's a prayer. It may not be now, but God, work on me. So that as I mature in my faith and as I heal from my pain and as I overcome my fear and deal with my insecurity, God, help me to see myself as a reflection of who you are. And when I see myself as a reflection of who you are, then the way I honor you, God, will be the way I honor myself. What does your life look like? When you honor yourself the way you honor God. What does your life look like when you love on you the way you love God? What does your life look like when you celebrate you the way you celebrate God? Can I tell you this? You're worthy. You're worthy. No matter what your fears try to whisper and what your insecurities try to declare, You're worthy of everything beautiful that God brings your way. You're worthy. You're worthy of what the universe wants to bring to your doorstep. You are worthy of the abundance of joy and peace and beauty and love and happiness that can be created to set up residency in your soul. You're worthy. You're worthy. It won't be an easy journey to get to a place where you see yourself not as Michael, not as Sharon, not as Dawn, but as divine reflection. But you can do it, beloved. How can you do it? Because God walks with you and God talks with you. And in those moments where you feel your lowest, God whispers to remind you that I will be there. You don't need to have a giant problem. And you don't need to be afraid of giants. You are divine. Within you rests the power of God. Rumi once said that we are born with wings. Why would you choose to crawl? You were born with wings. Why would you choose to crawl? You were born as a reflection of God, why would you do anything less than accept and embrace that? For every giant problem, I know a giant God who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, more than you could ever ask or even, imagine. His faithfulness is incomprehensible. His love is overpowering. And his peace surpasses all understanding. Beloved, whether you know it or not, I end with this. You are the beloved of God. God's spirit rests on you and in you God finds favor. You are powerful, unshakable, and adaptable. You are the embodiment of infinite possibilities. You, you. You are God's. You are God's child. You belong to God. Come on, beloved, lean in and let's pray. God, we thank you today. We thank you. For this season, we thank you. For this moment, we thank you. For this time. The truth is, oh God, some of us have been living with giant problems for a long time. Maybe this season, this moment, is the time to shake over the, or shake off the grasshopper complex. And start to see ourselves the way You see us. God, we love you. We honor you. And we thank you for pushing us not only to be honest about ourselves, but pushing us to see ourselves in the honesty of your creativity. We love you, Lord. We honor you, God, and it's in your name we pray, and we say, amen. Amen, Amen, beloved. Amen, beloved. (gasps)